All right, we're continuing our study through the Gospel of Luke here on the Listener's Commentary, and we have just begun in the last session the long travel narrative from 951 through 1927. It's this long middle section of the Gospel of Luke that Luke has packaged around Jesus' intended purpose of arriving at Jerusalem. He doesn't follow a step-by-step itinerary as if he's really taking Jesus, you know, city by city, place by place, all the way to Jerusalem. It's more the the theological intent that that's where he's heading. He knows his ministry and his mission is going to culminate in Jerusalem. He knows how it's going to culminate in Jerusalem. And so he's arranged this large middle section under this idea of Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem. That is, he is resolutely determined he is heading there and his ministry and mission is going to culminate there. Well, here in the session we're going to look at in this recording, uh, Luke 9, 57 through 62. Since we've just begun that travel narrative, Luke keeps it before our mind by noting that they are traveling along the road. And that's the way this section begins. And the focus of this section is on the demands of discipleship to Jesus. Jesus knows where his ministry is heading. He knows how it's going to culminate. He knows that it's going to entail rejection. All the things we looked at in our last recording So the focus of this section is uh, on, as disciples, are you prepared to walk with him along the road with all of that in view? In fact, Luke tells the story here of interactions with three would-be disciples of Jesus, and Jesus' responses to them seem, at first glance, quite harsh and are very, like, very demanding. And so it really raises the question, Are you sure you want to be his disciple? So let's jump in and begin. Verse 57 says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And so here's this would-be disciple who says, Lord, I I will follow you wherever. I mean, he seems eager. He seems willing. He's ready to follow Jesus. And notice, they're literally on the road. And so following Jesus means literally following Jesus wherever he goes. So I'm willing to go wherever you go, Jesus. I will follow you. Jesus' response is, okay, I want to make sure you totally understand what's involved in that. And so he says, the foxes have holes. And the birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, it's most likely that Jesus is simply making a point about uh, his singular devotion to his mission means he has no permanent security in this world. However, some scholars have seen a political illusion in Jesus' words. Uh, Luke, or I mean, Jesus calls uh, Herod that fox. And there's some evidence that the Arameans or uh, Edomites from whom Herod's family line derived were viewed as foxes. Uh, The Romans symbol was the eagle and thus the birds of the sky. And so some have uh, said, oh, Jesus is alluding to political realities and that the rulers of this world, Herod's of the world and the Romans of this world, they have 
they're they're secure in this world. They have uh, holes. They have nests. Right? They have places to lay their head. They they have security in this world. But me, the son of man, as a king, I have nowhere to lay my head. And that's possible. It just seems like maybe that's a bit of a stretch for what Jesus Jesus' main point. The main point is, even if there is that political illusion, that his singular devotion to his mission and the nature of that mission uh, means that he, he doesn't have any per- permanent security in this world. Like He ultimately isn't at home in this world. And so if you would be his disciple, are you prepared to live that same way? Are you prepared to identify with him and his mission and live more as a pilgrim that is a traveler than a settler. How are you willing to live? That seems to be the primary point he's making here. Are you prepared to identify with Jesus and his mission to such an extent that you're willing to live as a pilgrim in this world more than a settler in this world? The next disciple is somebody who actually Jesus himself calls to be a follower, and this man's reply is an excuse. Here's what happens. Verse 59. And he, Jesus, said to another, follow me. But he said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. So in this case, Jesus calls this man to follow him, but the man puts Jesus off with an excuse. And at first, it seems like a legitimate excuse. My dad died, and I need to go bury him. And in Jewish piety, burying your father was one of the most important things you could do. In fact, in some writings, it's described as a religious duty that took precedence over all other religious duties. It was a a crucial way you kept the command to honor your father and mother, one of the Ten Commandments, right? And this was a crucial way of carrying out that command. And so it seems like a legitimate excuse. But we need to understand that the phrase, bury my father, does not mean that his dad had just died. Kenneth Bailey, an expert in Middle Eastern culture, as one who grew up in Middle Eastern culture, ministered there, like before it had been even influenced hardly at all by Western culture, one who Uh, was capable of reading ancient Middle Eastern commentaries on Scripture, Kenneth Bailey points out that the phrase, bury my father, was actually a way of saying, let me first serve my father and fulfill my family responsibilities to my father. And once I've done that, and once he has died and I've honored him with burial, then I'll come and follow you. And who knows how long that could be? I mean, that could be five years. 10 years, 15 years, who knows? In fact, if this man's dad had just died, but was unburied, he wouldn't be out on the road where Jesus is traveling and teaching. He would be back at home standing vigil over his father's body until preparations for burial complete, and they could have the burial ceremony. So this is an excuse based on social and religious priorities about serving his father for the length of his father's life. Whenever his responsibility to his father is done, then he'll come and follow Jesus. And certainly Jesus wouldn't expect him to set aside those high priorities and those religious loyalties to his father, would he? 
Certainly Jesus wouldn't think that he's more important than his father, would he? Well, look what Jesus says in verse 60. Jesus replies to him this way. But he, Jesus, said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. That is, the spiritually dead, those outside of Jesus and thus outside of the kingdom, can take care of those responsibility. Now's the day to come and follow me. And now's the day to enter and proclaim God's kingdom, God's reign and rule that's breaking into the world. God's kingdom is more important than those priorities. And God's kingdom is centered in and around Jesus the King. So yes, Jesus is more important than your father. And yes, Jesus's uh, ministry and mission is a higher priority because it's the center of God's kingdom than all those other responsibilities. Well, a third interaction, verse 61, another also said to him, so here's another that volunteers to follow him. Another said to Jesus, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to uh, go and say goodbye to those at home. So the third interaction is with someone who, again, wants to follow Jesus, but also wants to delay as well. And once again, it seems like a legitimate reason. He, he just wants to go back home, say goodbye to uh, those at home, and then he'll pack up, come and follow Jesus, right? That's the way we would read that in our culture. I need to go back home, uh, pack my bags, go say goodbye to mom and dad, and then I'll peace out from there, and I'll come and follow you. Remember, Jesus is on the road, so following him literally involves leaving home and leaving family, and certainly that makes sense, doesn't it? Well, how does Jesus respond? Verse 62, Jesus says to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Well, once again, it sure seems like a harsh response. And so we should ask, well, what's going on here? Well, what's going on is this. The phrase translated, permit me to say goodbye, can mean that. It can mean to say goodbye, but it also means to take leave of in traditional Middle Eastern culture. In fact, everywhere else the phrase in the New Testament shows up, it's translated the latter, to take leave of. Only here do we find the translations to say goodbye. And the difference between the two, two in their culture is actually huge. And once again, Kenneth Bailey, this expert in Middle Eastern culture, is quite helpful. He points out that in traditional Middle Eastern culture, to take leave of involves asking permission to leave from those who are back home staying, primarily asking to take leave from, again, your father, who was the patriarch of the family, and you needed his permission to make any major move in your life. So this would-be disciple is actually saying, allow me to go back home, follow through with traditional authority structures, ask permission of my father and my family back at home to leave them, and then if they permit I will come and follow you. The Father's authority reigns supreme in their culture. So Jesus calls this man out. You say you want to follow me, but you need to request to leave your family. No, my kingdom has to be a higher authority than even your family. This, my friends, is shocking in their culture. Um, like, my kingdom has to be, like, supreme even over 
the family structure, even over your father, even over traditional lines of authority. My kingdom has to be higher authority than your family. Jesus uses the imagery here of plowing to picture this. A bulky wooden plow, the kind they used in Jesus' day, was pulled by an ox or a donkey. And if you don't keep your eyes straight forward as you're doing that, you'll never make straight furrows with your plow. And so if you're plowing and you keep looking over your shoulder to see where you've come from and to see what's behind you, you're going to mess the whole field up and you'll never have straight furrows for your field. So you're saying the point is, you're saying you want to follow me, but you're looking over your shoulder to get dad's permission. Nope, that's not going to work, is Jesus' point. And with that, Jesus claiming to have higher authority than this man's father and this man's family. That is shocking. That is shocking. In fact, Kenneth Bailey says every time he's taught this passage in a Middle Eastern context, um, and laid out, laid it out in cultural context. Every time he did that, the reaction in the, to this from the students that he was teaching was things like, well, "It's no wonder he got killed, right?" Like Jesus claiming to be more important than their social structures, more important than their authority structures, more important than their family priorities. Jesus is saying. I am and my kingdom and my ministry is more important than all that. So here's this 30-something-year-old young man teaching, and even though he's a rabbi, and even though that's an important role, he is claiming to have a more important role than traditional family allegiances, traditional social structures, traditional uh, social uh, uh, traditional authority structures. Um, and this, this means that uh, discipleship to Jesus challenges our cultural allegiances. Jesus' authority is over any other authority structure in our life. Career, college, family, right? Like whatever social priorities, comfort, security, you know, going to college, getting a degree, getting a good job. Like in my culture, that's just kind of, that's what you do, right? And Jesus says, no, my kingdom is more important than even that. So if it's going to, if it's going to come in conflict at that point, well, you might need to rethink that, right? Like whatever it is, um, Jesus is over social customs and social pro propriety. Jesus is king, and it's not enough simply to believe in him. You have to submit to him completely. His kingship and his kingdom is the highest priority in all of life.